0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 42. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to carsya.com and get a free copy. Of the fantastic Filler Up book, it's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun, with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars, plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to carsyeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at carsyeah.com. Hello automotive enthusiasts. I'm extremely excited today to introduce my very special guest, Donald Osborne. Donald, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? You bet. All right. Great to have you here. Donald Osborne is an automotive consultant, a historian, an accredited senior appraiser, and a member of the American Society of Appraisers. He's the principal of Automotive Valuations Services and advises on collection building, vehicle acquisition, and sales. He travels extensively in the U.S. and Europe, attending major events and rallies and auctions. And he's appeared as a co-host of the nationally broadcast TV show, What's My Car Worth? And has judged major Concours events, including Amelia Island and many, many others. Donald is a contributing editor and auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine. And he's written for many other publications, including The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, and Road & Track Magazine. Active participant in many seminar panels and symposia, Donald is a quintessential car guy who loves sharing his automotive knowledge with others. So, Donald, I've told our listeners just a little about you. Could you take us through your career and your history, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles?
1: Well, uh, Mark, I'll be glad to. It's funny when you said through your... Uh, career, I thought, well, this is a four and a half hour uh, show, correct? Um, <laughs> because one of the interesting things back up. Uh, I've had a variety of careers, quite interestingly, but cars have, have, have always remained in my life throughout. I have uh, always had an, an interest in, in cars, um, which is very interesting because I grew up in New York City, born in Manhattan, and grew up in New York City. And my family actually didn't get their first car until I was 12 years old. So it's not as if I grew up with cars all around the house. But cars have always been a passion of mine, uh, together with music. I'm a former opera singer. I also worked in retailing and advertising, marketing, TV production. (laughs) Wow. You can say I've covered a lot of of ground, but cars have always been a constant in my life.
0: When you moved from opera singing into some of your next stages, when did you really start to get involved with the career you're involved with now? For many people and enthusiasts listening to the show, they're going to say, this guy gets to travel around the world and look for cool cars for a living? Oh my gosh, what a dream come true.
1: The terrible thing, Mark, is that I can never, ever, ever complain about spending too much time on airplanes or in hotels. No one gives me any sympathy. I can't imagine why. And frankly, (laughs) I don't expect them to. I I consider myself unbelievably blessed that I get to do what I do. It's one of those things that I worked in a variety of of different areas, as I just said. All the time, I was interested in cars as as a hobby. I began to do some writing about cars, actually my first... uh, writing contribution was for Sports Car Market Magazine in 1996 and then I became an auction analyst for them uh, sort of just by the fact that I was at auctions all the time and a very good friend of mine, a fellow named Dave Kinney, who's been a real inspiration to me, uh, was one of their auction analysts. Uh, he said, you know, Donald, why don't you help me out on this because I know you know a lot about Italian cars and so why don't you look at some of the Italian cars with me. Of course, I had known Keith Martin as well for many years before that. They thought, gee, wouldn't it be great if, if you contributed some of these auction reports for us So I said, great, that sounds like a good idea. So I did that for a number of years. At the same time, I was growing tired of my uh, then career in marketing communications as a partner in a small agency. I thought, you know, life is too short. I really need to do something that I absolutely love doing. It was suggested to me by Dave Kenney that I might want to join the American Society of Appraisers and go through their uh, education and accreditation process because he said, you know, I like the way your mind works and, you know, obviously you, you love cars. And this might be a good thing for you. Indeed, it has been. I started my company, Automotive Evaluation Services, in 2004, and I have not looked back since.
0: Well, congratulations on 10 years of uh, following your passion. And that's what Car Jazz yeah is all about, is inspiring automotive enthusiasts and talking to people who may be successful in their career but really wish they were doing something that evolved around their passion for automobiles. So you did exactly that. And you branched out. So what I'd like to do now is kind of go down the journey of your life and ask you about a success quote. Something that's been instrumental in forming your success and has meaning for you. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yes. So Donald, take the wheel.
1: Well, Mark, when I saw that question, uh, (laughs) I thought this is the simplest thing I could possibly answer in this entire interview. And uh, that's uh, maybe a cliche, but my, my parents did a great job, I think, in in, in raising me. I, I compliment uh, my mom on it. they still with us all the time. And one of the things that my mother, who was a teacher for f- 55 years, wow. taught me very early on, it's really important to know what you don't know mm. and to know who to find the answer from. And that has really guided me so much through my entire life, whether it was in singing, whether it was in uh, working in retail, in marketing communications, whatever it might have been, and certainly in the automotive business, because I have learned so much from an incredible number of really talented and experienced people in the field with more information. Uh, As the expression goes, they've forgotten more than many people learn in their lives. Mm. And it is so important, I think, in anything in life, frankly, just to realize your own limitations and not let them stop you, but be the launching point for learning and for for growth. And that's really what that's about.
0: Absolutely. And you covered a little bit of my next question of how you've incorporated that success quote into your business and your life. And when it comes to valuing automobiles, or anything for that matter, but specifically automobiles, it is a huge moving target, and especially as of late, as we're going through one of these inclines right now in automotive values. So how has that success quote helped you in in chasing the career you're doing now and trying to figure out what a car is really worth at any given moment in time?
1: Well, Mark, again, that is it's absolutely key in the work that I do now. It's that way because people often ask me, uh, so you, you appraise and, and value cars. Uh, what cars do you specialize in? I say, yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: because I've appraised and valued all sorts of cars, uh, from contemporary exotic cars to late 19th century cars. And the reality is, of course, is I'm not going to have the intimate knowledge of all of those cars that I might of some cars which are a personal enthusiasm of mine. Mm-hmm. So it's very important for me to, to build up as the antique people say, a Rolodex of um, of resources that I can go to, that I can ask questions and find out what the attributes of value or important things about specific cars might be. So then when I do my basic research into finding the exact market that is correct for the type of valuation we're doing and look for the comparables, uh, then I know I'm coming from a point of some uh, perspective and knowledge. And so that's been absolutely vital. That that success quote, that, uh, that that success advice that my mother gave me, has been absolutely vital in that work. And because of that, I've also become a resource for other people. And it's very, very, very much a two-way street. And it's it's really, frankly, one of the things that makes life interesting.
0: And isn't it funny how those lessons our parents teach us when we're young, we roll our eyes and go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." They were always true, <laughs> weren't they? <laughs> they always had some fact behind them. Would you share a story That's with us? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Would you share a story with us that was that pivotal point in time that instigated your passion for cars? Tell us that moment when you really realized I'm really a car guy.
1: Well, it's uh, it's funny. As I mentioned, I was born in New York City in Manhattan and uh, grew up in Queensboro, of New York. And uh, we didn't need a, we didn't need a car. There were uh, I have two brothers and a sister. My mother was a teacher, as I said. My father worked in the garment industry. The place where he worked was in Long Island City in Queens, and so he took the bus and the subway to work. And then one day, uh, his company announced that they were moving to northern New Jersey. And so first, we went to look at some houses in northern New Jersey. My parents decided they didn't want to move, so my father said, well, I'll have to get a car. What had happened (laughs) was at this point, this is 1967. And what had happened a few years before that is my two brothers who were car enthusiasts. They didn't quite end up being the totally car-infested and crazed and addicted person that I am, but they were car enthusiasts, and my oldest brother read Road and Track magazine and all this, and mm-hmm. I would leaf through it when he wasn't around, so he didn't see me wrinkling the pages and try to imagine how to pronounce some of the names that you saw in it. So they finally, with all of my pestering, took me with them to the car show in New York, in 1964, the International Car Show, I just went crazy. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. And that show not only sort of opened up the world of, of automobiles to me in a way that it hadn't been before, but <laughs> it also pointed to my particular uh, area of, uh, of lifelong interest. Uh, 1964, of course, I mean, there are lots of great cars, the, the, uh, the Pontiac GTO, and, and, and uh, later that summer, of course, the Mustang, uh, and all that. My brothers were very, very much into cars like that. I, however, fell in love with a Citroën uh, DS and the Maserati Porte and an Alfa Romeo 2600. I thought, oh my God, these are cars from another planet, because these are certainly my cars you saw driving down the street in Queens, or in Manhattan for that matter. I, I was sort of hooked on these very exotic things and started writing away for catalogs uh, for these cars, because, of course, you could call, but then when I called at the... At, uh, at nine years old, they would say, yes, Miss Osborne, because they thought it was a girl or a woman, because my, my voice was high. So I said, well, okay, you know what, I'll write it. Then they can't tell that, that I'm not uh, a grown-up. <laughs> and I'd get catalogs. I'd, I'd, they'd send me, mail me the catalogs, and, and I'd look at them and keep them. And it was just, it was really quite magical. So uh, fast forward to 1967. My dad needs to get a car for the first time. And of course, my two brothers and I, we are car experts. So we were going to tell him what car you should buy. And we decided he should buy a Peugeot 404 because we decided thought it was the coolest car on the planet. So my dad, a real down-to-earth guy, goes to look at the, uh, the Peugeot, hmm. and he comes out and he says, uh, he, he, he coined this wonderful word, that I still use today. He said, there's no way I'm going to spend $4,000 on a car with no stylage because he said, the, the Pucco 404 definitely wasn't for him, the styl- Stylage. <laughs> so instead he bought a 1967 Pontiac Catalina four-door hardtop. Now, that was a car with stylish. let me tell you, <laughs> 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 for $3,500. So, so, you know, we were comprehensively put in our place. But nonetheless, just, you know, from the time that I was introduced that way to cars, it's just been an incredible journey.
0: Oh, fantastic. Isn't that fun when you're young and you're exposed to those things and the impression they make on true enthusiasts is spectacular. Donald, what I want to do now is take a look at the roads you've driven down and really crawl under the hood and get our hands a little dirty. Would you share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you had in your career that really pushed you to a breaking point? And more importantly, share with our listeners how you overcame that and what you learned from it.
1: Well, uh, it's funny, Mark. Um, <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind it's something that I actually can't talk too much about. Um, <laughs> I'm fortunate enough to be certified to do work, appraisal work for the Internal Revenue Service. And so I can't talk about the exact project, nor can I talk about any project that I work on as a restorer because, uh, as an appraiser rather, because of, of client privilege. But it was a real challenge because, on the one hand, it was a thrilling assignment. It was an assignment to do an appraisal of one of the most valuable cars on the planet. Wow. It was unbelievable, I thought. I am the luckiest man in the world. And so I wrote my preliminary report. I turned it in to the, um, to the IRS uh, group with, with which I was working. By their normal procedure, they passed it by the IRS, what's called the Art Review Committee, the committee that reviews all appraisals that come through to the IRS, including their reviews before they go out on a case. And they came back and they said, well, we're terribly sorry, but you can't use these comparables that you've chosen because they're not public sales. And the closest comparable for this car were of a car that had never been sold at auction before. But I had contacted the leading dealers and brokers in the world who had handled these cars, uh, and I had gotten very good numbers from them on what these cars had sold for at the time of the, of the uh, appraisal uh, data of valuation. So, the team leader came back to me and said, Well, gee, you know, Donald, I know this is going to be really tough for you to do without those comparables. And I understand completely if you just, you know, if you want to quit the job now, I'll give you a day to think about it. And I thought about it and I said, You know what? I want to make this happen. I, I'm bound and determined to make this happen. And so I, I came up with a method of using comparables that were not these exact comparables but things that, that were logical enough and did fit well enough into the set, and made a rationale uh, for using these, and managed to, like like an attorney who, who gets to include inadmissible evidence, managed to, to, to weave into my report the mention of these things, which I couldn't use as comparables.
2: <laughs> and they wow.
1: resubmitted the report, and it was accepted, and it was, it was a thrill. It was an absolute thrill. <laughs> yeah. Because I thought, you know, I have no idea how this is going to turn out, but I'll be darned if I'm going to let this go. So uh, that was that was both uh, a very low point and what turned into a high point, interestingly enough.
0: Well, that's a great story of taking a, a challenge that seemed insurmountable and pivoting it into something that actually worked and thinking about it from a different perspective. So that's that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Of course, now that everybody knows knows you work for the IRS, no one's going to want to talk to you again. <laughs>
1: Well, Mark, interestingly enough, um, and again, this is nothing that I advertise. Now, of course, I've mentioned it now on your show. Um, uh, it's nothing I advertise on my website or anything like that. But it's funny, when people do hear about that, actually, they're pleased when I do a lot of work because they know that what it is that, that I'm looking for, when I will write, will be something that the IRS will look at in a certain way. So that, that actually works out. But I do joke with, with people all the time that, you know, you'd better behave. Otherwise, I'll let my friends at the IRS know all about you. <laughs> ah,
0: a little bit of guido leverage that you bring with us from uh, New, New York City or New Jersey.
1: <laughs> Precisely. That's
0: great. Donald, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and share a story with us when you had a real aha moment about this career you're working in now, a time when you realized that, you know what, I can actually make a living out of playing in my field of passion, working in my field of passion, and tell us how you turned that aha moment into a success.
1: Well, again, that's a funny thing. It was just at the time, actually, when I started Automotive Valuation Services, I had been trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, as I said, I was partner in a small marketing communications agency, and things were going quite well. But I thought, you know, I'm not really getting a lot of psychic joy out of, out of this. There were more creative things that I wanted to do. And I began to explore some options, and I thought, well, the appraisal thing could be interesting, but, you know, what is it? And I I don't want to to spend my time, not that there's anything wrong with this, but I said I don't want to spend my time doing insurance appraisals on three-year-old Camrys. You know, I'd want something a little more exciting than that. And as it happened, I sort of hung my shingle out, as it were, and the first job I got, which was a referral from a friend of mine, was for... Uh, an estate, to to value some cars for an estate. And I thought, okay, this could be interesting. I I went down to an incredibly beautiful house uh, on the shore in Connecticut, and they opened up the garage door, and inside the garage were a 63 Thunderbird, a 1958 Fiat sedan, a Jaguar XK120, and a Bugatti. I said,
2: wow, (laughs) this is nice. Wow.
1: And so I did that job. And I thought, well, okay, it's gonna all going to go downhill from there. But from that job, I ended up getting three more referrals. So the first four uh, appraisal jobs that I did were all for really, really, really interesting cars and interesting assignments. And that really was, was what it took to, to make me say, I really want to stick with this and go ahead. If the first four calls had, had been for people with the late model Camrys, I'd probably say, eh, I don't want to do this. What else can I do? <laughs> Wonderful. So it was uh, it was amazing. It was it was certainly serendipity.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, very fortuitous. That's that's spectacular. Let's have a little fun here and talk about your first very special car. Can you share what that was and maybe some memories or adventures you had with that vehicle?
1: Well, my first special car was my very first car. Again, living in New York City, uh, you don't have cars in high school. So I got my first car when I went away to college. It was a 1963 Corvair Monza convertible.
2: Oh, cool. Black
1: with a red interior and white top. Uh, very, very cool car. I bought it from the mother, it was, it was the car of the mother of, of a friend of mine. I thought, wow, this car is amazing. It, it's so cool. And I always liked Corvairs. And I thought, wow, my first car is a Corvair. Plus, you know, to live in New York City and have a convertible was also really cool as well. I remember <laughs> I, I bought it in Connecticut where I went to school and I'm driving all around Connecticut. And the first school break, I drive back to New York. I pick up a friend of mine, And we said, ah, let's go go, uh, into Manhattan. And so we're driving across the 59th Street Bridge in Manhattan on the lower level of 59th Street Bridge with a top down. I'm wearing a white shirt, and I'm looking at my shirt and saying, what the heck is that? And it's soot falling Hmm. from cars driving on the upper deck. (laughs) And we just start laughing hysterically, (laughs) (laughs) saying, oh my God, here we are in this convertible with with all this soot falling all over us. So you would think, Okay, fine. You figure it out. You know, it's a convertible. You don't really put the top down in the city. So, yeah, lesson one learned. Right, fine. Well, I get into the car another time, and I say, I'm going to drive out to to Pennsylvania. And so I'm going to drive through the Holland Tunnel into New Jersey and then out to Pennsylvania. It's a beautiful day. So I have the top down. I get caught in a traffic jam. Inside the tunnel with the top down and all of these fumes. Oh, (laughs) I say, mm, okay. You know, there's a reason why people in New York City don't drive convertibles.
0: <laughs> now you know. <laughs>
1: so now I know. It was a, it was a very valuable, uh, very, very valuable lesson. <laughs> that's, that's funny for me to know.
0: That's funny. Um, what a great car, too. That sounds great. Let's talk a little bit about sellers' remorse. Is there a vehicle you've had in your past that you really wish you still
2: had?
1: Yeah. But there's also again there's sort of two sides to this. Um, there's definitely a car. I one of one of my great passions are for Italian cars of the 1940s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. I was always a big Alfa Romeo enthusiast, and then I discovered the cars of Lancia. And Lancia cars are just absolutely unbelievable, with incredible engineering and 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 design and and all this. And I didn't realize at the time how fortunate I was. The very first Lancia I ever owned was a 1952 Lancia uh, Aurelia B50 Vignale Coupe. It was a custom-built car, custom-bodied car, uh, one of a very small series of five, of which two still existed. I just love this car. But I also lived in Manhattan at the time, so, and I like to drive my car. So I kept it out outside of Manhattan in, in Connecticut at a friend's garage. And so I get in my car in Manhattan, drive an hour and a half to Connecticut, get in this car, drive for a couple of hours, park it, and then drive back into the city. which was just sort of insane. But I was driving it one day down to a car show in Pennsylvania, and uh, it had this horrible habit of setting its brakes uh, while you drive because of a strange bit of design flaw that uh, happened because of a, a badly done restoration years ago. But I'm sitting by the side of the road, waiting for the uh, brakes to cool down so I keep going. And these tractor trailers are flying by me, at uh, you know, 60, 65 miles per hour, and I'm thinking, if anything happens, every piece of trim on this car has to be remade by hand. This isn't the right car for someone who owns one old car and likes to drive it. So I said, well, I'll sell it at auction. So I consigned it to uh, then Christie's, uh, was having the auction at Pebble Beach. Uh, this is in the year 2000. And so I consigned it to Christie's for sale. I had traded two other cars which I absolutely loved for this car, and then spent a year of writing checks to have it rebuilt mechanically. And so I probably had about $55,000 into this car. The auction estimate was 35000 to 45000 no reserve. And it sold for $11,500. Oh,
2: oh, no. I'm
1: absolutely heartbroken. The car came back up on the market and springing it up last year. Someone had done nothing to it. It still had my Connecticut license plates in it. Came back on the market for €145,000. I did not buy it back. But it was just such an incredibly neat car. That, you know, I do wish I hadn't uh, sold that car. But on the other side of this is a wonderful story. I I currently have a 1967 Lancia Fulvia with a Zagato body. Great car, Fulvia Sport. Oh, wow. I bought the car in 1999 from a friend of mine. I'm the second registered owner of the car. And in 2005, I traded it away to another friend for another car, another 1952 Lancia. And as soon as I traded it to him, uh, this guy's a collector and a dealer, I said, "Ah, you know, if you ever sell this car, you've got to call me back. And so he said, yeah, 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 but I'm not going to sell it. And I call him once a year, find out how everything is going, and he said, oh, my wife loves the car, we're not going to sell it. So five years ago, I get a phone call. He says, Donald, I've got great news for you. I said, what? I'm going to sell the Fulvia. Are you interested? I said, when can I come pick it up? Mm -hmm. And I bought the car again. I sat down in the driver's seat, and it was as if I was back at home. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. Wow. And so I have this car today, and it will never, ever sell. You don't get a second chance very often.
0: <laughs> no, you don't. That was, that was wonderful. Is there a current project you're working on right now, Donald, that really has you excited and fired up?
1: Uh, yeah. I, I recently, <laughs> this is a funny story, too, I recently bought a 1957 Fiat a sedan, 1100 sedan, little uh, four-cylinder, 1.1-liter uh, uh, car. And this is a car early enough that it has the front suicide door so that they, the four doors uh, hinge on the center pillar, so the rear doors open forward, the front doors open backwards. Uh neat thing uh, that I got to uh, do some vintage events that are uh, date-limited to 1957 with the California Mille and things like that. I just ordered a, a custom dual carburetor manifold for it, sort of, give hot rod a little. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I'm very excited about that because I've always loved uh, these little cars. And uh, the funniest thing is that uh, I spend uh, every um, a couple of months a year in Italy. And uh, I was in Italy in May uh, for all the car events and the auctions. And uh, I decided I wanted to, to find one of these cars. So, of course, I'm in Italy. I start looking for cars in Italy. And I'm looking at this car and looking at that car and things are terrific. Meanwhile, <laughs> I see an ad for one in Georgia outside of Atlanta. And so I'm in Italy. I send a friend to look at it. And I end up buying a car outside of Atlanta while I'm in Italy.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> the world is flat. The world is small. <laughs> Isn't that funny?
1: Exactly. It's sort of amazing. Yeah, that's, that's why. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to, to having lots and lots and lots of rallying events fun in, in, in this. Yeah.
0: Oh, that'll be great. Okay, here's a funny question for you. If you were a car... What kind of car would you be, and why?
1: Well, again, it goes back to my passion and the car. Uh, the question about the car that that uh, got away is of uh, the seller's remorse. I really do love the custom bodied what the Italians call 40 serie" uh, cars of the nineteen fifties. A lot of these cars were done on uh, Alfa Romeo, Fiat, Lancia chassis because custom bodybuilding had really been you know, the thing of the very upper-class cars before World War II and after World War II there obviously was not a lot of business for the super expensive cars and a lot of the custom bodybuilders that stayed in business uh, began to do custom bodies for less expensive cars so that people could uh, have a little bit of differentiation from their neighbors so I think that I would like to be a custom bodied launcher of the 1950s and that would be because I would be first of all, launches have incredible engineering, so you have integrity and quality and individual style.
0: Perfect,
1: and <laughs> I'd like to think that those are my goals for myself. So.
0: <laughs> well, knowing you as I have, I think you've reached those goals. But that's a great, uh, a great way to put it. So wonderful. So Donald, this is a fun part of our talk. I call it the last lap and it's where I fire off a series of questions and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Here we go. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Buy what you love.
0: <laughs> that seems to be a reoccurring theme in the automotive world.
1: <laughs> the key thing, again, as an appraiser, and especially today when you hear so many people say, I want to buy something that's going to be worth more money. <laughs> next year.
2: Yeah.
1: Buy something you love, and if it's worth more money next year, that's nice. But you will have, in the meantime, had a great year with it. Yes,
0: yes. And I've heard that, that uh, reflection come from many people saying, don't buy a car just because you think it's going to go up in value. Buy something you really <sighs> enjoy and you're passionate about. So that's great advice. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success?
1: Well, I can't say it's just one. I think it's a group of, of habits um, that came from my very, very background. Um, I think for the time I spent working for, in retail, at one point I was the associate store manager of Macy's Herald Square and ran the store nights and weekends. And from retail, I learned a sense of urgency. You can't put off Mother's Day. It's happening. You've got to get the goods. You've got to get them out on the floor. You've got to put them there. That's what you have to do. You can't wait. Uh, from my opera singing... Sense of of resilience because every audition is a chance to be rejected, and that can't stop you. You just have to keep going on. And the persistence, I think, that uh, came from from, from those uh, the persistence and the sense of urgency I think are are two of the the key things that have contributed to my success.
0: Wonderful. Do you have a resource that you would share with our listeners that you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website that you frequent?
1: Well, I I love for a variety of reasons. I love reading uh, Bring a Trailer. Bringatrailer.com
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, because there are so incredibly there's so many incredibly neat cars on it. Uh, I've actually bought a few cars on Bring a Trailer. I've sold a car in Bring a Trailer. Even if you're not buying or selling, just to read the comments can be, by the way, entertaining. <laughs> it's a terrific site. And both personally and professionally, I mean, I there's not a day that I don't utilize the uh, platinum database of Sports Car Market Magazine, SportsCarMarket.com because. It's got a database of tens of thousands of, of auction transactions going back to, to the 60s. If you really want to see what a car has done, uh, you can also track a car by, uh, by chassis number. So you can even tell how many, car, how many times it may have sold at auction and for how much each time. And then, of course, on the SCM site, you also as well get the uh, columns and, and articles that printed in the magazine there for your reference so it's it's invaluable i really love uh, going to scm even though i write for scm <laughs> yes but i use the scm database as a resource
0: for myself i agree i think those are two great resources and we frequently in, uh, we just recently interviewed uh, randy Nonnenberg of bring a trailer and they just launched a uh, an auction the other day so that's kind of cool and of course sports car market's been around forever and they're wonderful resource to see what cars are doing so it's great, Donald. Would you share a book you've recently read that you really enjoyed with our listeners?
1: Well, I didn't read this book recently. It's actually not in this book. It's a, it's a series of books, um, but I recommend that anybody who's a car enthusiast, and especially if you if you like, you don't have to be a racing enthusiast necessarily, but especially if you like the cars of the of the fifties, Bert Levy's books, B.S. Levy's books, uh, the Last Open Road series are amazing books they're not only there are a lot of car books out there that are not particularly well written or particularly entertaining there's some very entertaining books that get all the facts about cars wrong but burt is a great writer and um he also knows the story of the cars and he gets the cars right And it's fascinating because it is very much you know it's a fictional tale but there's enough of the of the real woven in so it's it's sort of like watching a docudrama. It's really terrific, and very entertaining, and and educational as well.
0: Oh yeah! In fact, I'm Three going to be in yeah. In fact, I'm going to be interviewing Bert on Sunday, so he'll be uh, up on ah, car well, Show yes soon.
1: telling that Donald Osborne uh, plugged his books. <laughs> I
0: I will definitely do that. In fact, several of the guests I've had on the show have referenced Bert and his uh, wonderful prose, and and the way he writes is spectacular. So that's a that's a great one. I wanted to remind our listeners that all these resources that Donald has shared with us today will be at carsyad.com slash Donald Osborne. You can just type Donald in the search bar and his show notes page will pop up and you can get references and links to all the great things that Donald shared with us today. So Donald, we're up to the checkered flag. This last question I think is a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage and this is something that you can't sell to buy other cars with, and money is no object, what would that car be, and why did you choose it?
1: <sighs> I, I'm, I'm at the risk of of being someone who's sort of in a uh, one-track, uh, again, for, for young people listening to this, stuck in a groove on a record. Now, it will mean nothing to many, many people, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, you see, keep going back to the same place. People often ask me, you know, what's your favorite car? And that's really a tough question to answer. It depends on the day, it depends on the need. But uh, given this sort of desert island question, I've, I've thought about it a great deal, actually, recently. And the fact that I love custom-bodied Italian cars from the 1950s, I really love tractable sports racing cars, I'd have to say Fiat AutoVo, Fiat 8V. And the particular Fiat uh, Autovu that I would have would be the 1954 Desmond Rouge, which is a wonderful car uh, designed by Giovanni Michelotti uh, for the Vignale Coachworks. It's not conventionally pretty, as many of Michelotti's designs weren't, but it's just got an incredible amount of dash. It sort of looks like a, a an automotive lightning bolt, uh, red and black, with an overhanging roof in the back and a sort of a, a nose-down, tail-up stance. It just sort of makes it look like a, sort of like a flying wedge. It's an amazing car, absolutely amazing car, and I would certainly never get tired of looking at that in my garage, actually parking in my living room, or driving it.
0: So well, it, would,
1: it would fulfill not everything that I, that I would want.
0: <laughs> well, sounds fantastic, and I'm sure there's going to be many listeners uh, Googling that, looking that car up that have not ever seen that car, and that's certainly one of the more unique answers that I've heard to that uh, difficult question here on Cars Yeah. Sounds fantastic.
1: It's, a, it's, in the, it's in the Lauman Museum in The Hague in, in the Netherlands, and a place I also recommend people go to visit. Evert Laumann is an amazing guy, and his collection is
0: outstanding. Oh, fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing that. Well, Donald, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed talking with you and your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us. If you could give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that beautiful car of yours, And also let our listeners know, is there a good way for them to find out more about you? And then we'll say goodbye.
1: Sure. Thanks, Mark. First of all, thank you very much for having me. This has been a pleasure. You can learn more about me by going to my website, uh, automotivevaluationservices.com. You'll get to learn all about my life and what it is that I do professionally. And I also have a blog there with, I hope, what are interesting stories and links to some other things that I've written. As for a parting thought and word of advice... um, I would just come back to a theme that's, again, repeated over and over again in this interview, uh, which is to follow your enthusiasms and your passions, because life will never be better than it will be if you do.
0: Wonderful, wonderful advice, and exactly what Cars Yeah is all about, so I appreciate that. I want to remind our listeners you can find everything that Donald has shared with us today at carsyeah.com slash Donald Osborne. Just type Donald into the search bar. His show notes page will pop up, and you can learn all about Donald. Go to his website and share some of the passion that he has around cars. Donald, thank you for being so generous with your time today and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Take care, Mark. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah!